You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. We have been in a series uh, the past couple of weeks called Foundations. Uh, This series has been a series where we focus on central doctrines or central teachings of the Bible. So the first week, if you remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago, what we did was we looked at the question, is there such a thing as absolute truth? That was the first week. The second week, what we did was we looked at some of the attributes of God and we learned how God is Trinity, all right? He's one God in essence, but he has three forms. He has three, he's in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so today, what we're going to look at is how God communicates to us through the Bible, okay? One of the things that is interesting about God as the Trinity is that long before we were ever created, God was communicating, God was communicating between the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our God is a God who communicates, and so that's what we're going to look at today. How does this God communicate to us? Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in a family where we had Bibles uh, around the house, uh, we had, I had a Bible. Uh, my mom took me and my siblings to church. And, you know, I heard a lot of Bible stories. Uh, I heard a lot of teaching on the Bible. I even read my Bible here and there. And one of the things that I thought about the Bible is, you know what? There's some nice stories in here, uh, some uh, good teaching. And I thought that they were much more recommendations than things that I necessarily had to do. And so growing up in my house... I would, you know, uh, have the Bible in my house. I would actually disagree with parts of the Bible, but I didn't think that it was something I had to necessarily live by, right? Then I got to college, and I became a Christian. I, I put my faith and trust in Jesus, and I poured myself into the Bible. I was reading it every day. I was studying it. And when I came across those things that I disagreed with in here, um, I realized that, you know, I think what God is saying to me is that he wants me to live under his authority. So the Bible went from down here to up here. The Bible became my authority where I, if I disagreed with it, I would live my life. I would believe what God said rather than what I thought was true about life. And I would, I would base my life on the Bible, on what he said. So that was the change for me in college. The Bible went from here to here. It became my authority. And, you know, uh, I think there are uh, people that still have the Bible down here. My father-in-law is one of them. He has uh, disagreed with different parts of the Bible. What has he done? He's written his own Bible. Well, it's really not a Bible, but he's written a, a paper explaining what he thinks about God, what he thinks about angels, what he thinks about judgment. He doesn't believe there's a judgment, by the way. And he explains all the things that he disagrees with about the Bible, and then he gives us his perspective. Thomas Jefferson was the same way. He sat in the White House. He took the Bible. He cut out the miraculous parts and the parts that he didn't feel fit with what he thought God would say. And what he did was came up with what 
he called the philosophy of Jesus Christ. Um, so you're either going to look at the Bible as a recommendation, uh, something that are nice stories, something that has some good teachings, but is not really something that you're going to live your life by, or you're going to see it as your authority, and you're going to uh, organize your life around it. You're going to let God's word be the thing that influences how you think and live. You're going to let the word of God speak into your life, and you're going to let it speak into your circumstances. And so one of the things that we have as a church is we have a statement about what we believe about the Bible. Okay, so here's the statement. It says, we believe the Bible to be inspired, the inspired, the infallible, author authoritative word of God. So let me define these things a little bit. These aren't words that we hear every day, so it's important, I think, to take a little bit of time to share some of the definitions here. Inspired means that the Bible is the very words of God. Infallible means that the Bible, in the original manuscripts, does not affirm anything contrary to what is fact. And then authority here, we would just say that it means that all the words of the Bible are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word is to disbelieve or disobey God, okay? So that's a little definition around what it, we're talking about with inspired, infallible, and authority. And then in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 16, we see that it says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. All of scripture are the very words of God. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 says. And if you don't believe this today, I'm glad that you're here. All right? Uh, we at Redemption welcome you. We welcome people who have doubts, who have struggles with the word of God. So I'm glad you're here today. It's going to be a good time together. Now, there are different perspectives on the Bible, and I want to just talk about three of them with you as we kick things off this morning. Uh, some of you have a lot of respect for the Bible, but you have a hard time reading it. Maybe you grew up in a household where you had Bibles around the house. Maybe you went to Catholic school where the Bible was talked about, but you tried to read it, you, and then you, you got to Leviticus, and you just gave up. Right? It's just too long, it's too laborious, you just gave up, and it kind of uh, it stopped you from going any farther. So some people have respect for the Bible, uh, but they just have a really hard time connecting to it. Now, others believe that the Bible is a good book, uh, it helps a lot of people, uh, there are good things in the Bible, good stories and things like that, but these people are like, you know what, I'm not sure if everything in the Bible is trustworthy. Uh, I'm not sure that everything in the Bible happened. These types of people would say that the Bible is scientifically impossible, historically unreliable, and culturally regressive. And then there's a third type of person, and you're the, type, you're the person who centers your life around the Bible. Uh, it filt it's the filter for all of your decisions you make. It's your source of strength in times of hardship and in times of trouble and in times uh, that in your life that you're struggling. You build your life around it. It's the foundation for your life. So today I'm going to talk with you about three things related to the Bible. First, what is the Bible? Second, what do we believe the Bible to be? And lastly, I'll share some ways that we can understand and apply the Bible 
to our lives. So we're going to have fun today. Here we go. Uh, First thing is, uh, what is the Bible? Well, it's God's way of communicating with us. We had talked about this uh, just a couple of minutes ago. Think about this. Think about how insatiable human beings' appetite is for communication. I mean, think about it. Um, It is incredible. It's unbelievable. We have these phones that we can do all these things with to communicate with others, right? We can make calls. We can send texts. We can download apps. We, We can do all of these things that communicate with others. And what we realize is that because we're created in the image of God, we want to know and we want to be known, right? God, in the same way, wants to make himself known to us, and he does that through the Bible. So what is the Bible? The Bible is God's way of communicating with us. It's a library of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament. It's about two-thirds of, of the Bible. The other third is the New Testament. The Old Testament focuses on the time before Christ. The New Testament focuses on Jesus' coming and the establishing of his church. Um, And so the Bible includes a lot of different literature, uh, a lot of different genres of literature in the Bible. You have poetry in the Bible. You have songs in the Bible. You have letters in the Bible. You have sermons in the Bible. You have historical books, legal documents, right? Um, You have all these different types of genres, and it's organized by genre. It's not organized in chronological order. If you want to read the Bible in chronological order, there are reading plans where you can do that, but the Bible is organized by genre. You have historical books over here, you have wisdom books over here, you have, um, uh, you have poetry over here, okay? So that's how the Bible is organized. So with that being said, let me, sh- let me tell you about how the Bible was written Uh, It was written over the course of 1,500 years. It was written by roughly 40 authors. Uh, The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament in Greek with some Aramaic. And the authors lived in Europe, they lived in Asia, and they lived in North Africa. So it's a multicultural and global book. So now that you know a little bit about what the Bible is, let's answer this question. What do we believe the Bible to be? What do we believe the Bible to be? So we're going to look at three things that are going to help us with this. First, what does Jesus say about the Bible? What is the most significant teacher and historical figure in the world, in history, say about the Bible? So he talks about the scriptures, and he says this. He says, uh, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Yeah, he's referring to the Old Testament here when he says this. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What Jesus is saying is this book is about me. This book is ultimately about me, and I am here to fulfill it. So the center of scripture, the center of history, the center of the church, and hopefully your life is Jesus Christ. And once you understand that, then all of God's word starts to make sense to you. Jesus goes on to say, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So we use language like dot your I's, cross your T's. That's the culturally modern equivalent of what uh, is being said here in this particular verse. That's what Jesus is communicating. And what Jesus is saying is everything in there is absolutely true. 
It's true. And I come, Jesus says this, I come to fulfill all of the promises and all of that it foreshadows. So everything in the Bible is ultimately pointing to Jesus. In the Bible, you see kings, it's pointing to Jesus as our king. In the Bible, you see it pointing to judges. You read about judges, Jesus is our judge. You see priests, Jesus is our high priest. You see a temple, Jesus is the presence of God in our lives. You see sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Everything ultimately is pointing to the person and the work of Jesus. And he comes to fulfill everything that the Bible promises. Now, some skeptics might say, or maybe you have or had a professor who might have said this. Well, you know, Moses didn't write the Bible. He didn't write a book in the Bible. Isaiah didn't write the Bible. Jonah didn't really happen. He didn't really go into the belly of a, of a big fish. But Jesus, in Mark 7, he names Moses and Isaiah, and he says that they were authors of books of the Bible. He says Moses wrote books, that Isaiah wrote books, that they were the authors. And, and so Jesus tells us who the authors of some of the Old Testament books were. He also says that Jonah really was in the belly of a fish. In uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, it says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is a Bible teacher. Jesus is a Bible defender as being the very words of God. Second thing that's important is that the Bible here, the Bible that we have, is written by many human authors as well as one divine author. Okay, the Bible just didn't drop down from heaven, and that's what we have today. But it also wasn't merely a human document that was written by people. Okay, God used human beings in real context and settings that reflect that. He used their personalities, their experiences, and their education, and that all comes through. So when you're reading Paul, who is a trained lawyer, you understand when you're going through the book of Romans that his experiences, his training, his education, it's coming through. Romans has a very different feel and read than, say, the book of 1 Peter. Okay, Peter wasn't a trained lawyer, so you're not going to get that same feel. No other book can say this, that they have multiple authors, human authors, but one divine author. Some of the books of the Bible are named after the people who wrote them. Okay, Joshua, Nehemiah, Daniel. Some of the books tell us who the authors are, but don't name them. Um, so when it comes to the book of the Bible, either the... Uh, it's written by the prophet or the person to whom God spoke, or they're speaking orally and someone else is writing it down, like a court stenographer. If you, if you ever see those courtroom dramas, you, you always see that person, it looks like a typewriter, <laughs> okay? That's what the stenographer would be. And, and, those, and so these are the ways of how we get the Bible. So the Bible actually tells us this in Ezekiel. It says, in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month. Notice God is very specific here. God says what the, who the people are, what the time is, what, what places actually exist. And archaeologists, the more that they dig up, the more that they're proving that this is true. Ezekiel uh, says here, the word of the Lord came to me. So he's going to get a word from the Lord. It's revelation. And when God speaks to Ezekiel and tells him to write down what he's hearing, what do you think Ezekiel does? 
He gets a pen, right? He starts writing because it's the, it's the word of God. So Paul in the New Testament says something similar in the book of Corinthians. He says, I'm writing this by my own hand. He tells us that he's the author. Other times we see someone who's speaking and then we see somebody else who's writing it down. So like in Jeremiah 36, chapter 36, verse four, it says, so Jeremiah called Baruch son of Nariah and while Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them on the scroll. So where do the words come from? They come from the Lord, and they come through the human author of Jeremiah. And it's written down by who? Baruch, the scribe. And so what I love about the Bible is that it actually tells us how we get the books that we have, right? How they actually were written and who wrote them. So there are human authors, but behind every book of the Bible is ultimately one divine author, and that is God. Third thing that I want to look at is that prophecy proves the Bible. Prophecy proves the Bible. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14 says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. In a few weeks, um, we're going to be sending out Christmas cards with that all, all over it, right? God with us, Emmanuel. Uh, 700 years before Jesus was born, God speaks through Isaiah and says, Jesus is coming. And how do we know it's him? Well, his mom's going to be a virgin. Okay, so that narrows it down quite a bit, right? <laughs> Probably not too many virgins that are going to have babies, Right. Uh, and he will be Emmanuel, God with us. So it's specific prophecy. Another prophecy 400 years before Jesus in Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, You, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Okay, so God says, I'm sending Jesus. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be God with us, Emmanuel. Uh, he's coming from ancient times. It means that he is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. So the creator God is coming into his creation. But not only that, he's coming to a specific place. What is the place? Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not in the hometown that Mary is from in Nazareth. Nazareth. How did that happen? God orchestrated all of these things so that Mary would actually have Jesus in Bethlehem. How did that work? He worked through the, the government of the day and through the way taxes are to move Mary and Jesus' adoptive father, Joseph, to Bethlehem. They were living in Nazareth. The census needed to be done. Rome said that you all have to go back to the towns where you are from. And so Joseph took his family and went back to Bethlehem. Not a very easy thing for a mother who is in the third trimester, right? <laughs> when you're in the third trimester uh, and you're pregnant, you don't want to be walking that far, and you certainly don't want to be getting on a donkey to be traveling from town to town. But shortly after Mary arrived in Bethlehem, she had Jesus. And so the prophecy was fulfilled that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. <clears throat> it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing 
the prophecies and how we see them fulfilled. It can only be something that is written by God, right? And, you know, how many of us, uh, I wonder, would love to predict the future, right? How many of you are fantasy football people out there? And you're like, you know what? I would love to predict the future because I have such a hard, I lose so much money <laughs> over the year because I don't do a good job predicting which teams are, are going to win. But, you know, and that's what we're seeing about prophecy. It predicted the future and it was accurate every time. And so what I, what I want to share now as, uh, as we kind of wrap up today is I want to share some ways for you to understand and apply the Bible, okay? So we got past some of the, um, the, the stuff that we needed to understand. You know, thanks for hanging in there with me, you know, um, and now we're going to have a little bit more fun, okay? Uh, so first, I want you to to better understand the, the Bible and apply it to your life, choose a translation that works for you. Choose a translation that you understand. Now, I have Gen Zers in my home. I lead the student ministry with Gen Zers in it, and there's sometimes words spoken that I have no idea what the meanings are, because I thought there was a certain meaning, and then I hear it, and they're using it in a completely different context. So you might, I don't know if you've heard the word snowflake. It's somebody that's, that's easily hurt, Okay, um, that's one word you might hear Gen Zers using. I'm dead. Sometimes you'll hear that or you'll see it text with skull and crossbones emojis. And all that means is, hey, you know, that was really funny. I'm laughing hysterically. I'm dead. Okay. So one of the things that we have to realize when we come to translations is that language changes over time, right? Meanings of words change over time. And um, so when you look at translations, the older translations tend not to um, incorporate that change, right? So if you look at the King James Version in Philemon chapter 1-7, you'll know what I'm talking about here, okay? So Philemon 1-7 says this, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee. Now in that day, a few hundred years ago in England, bowels were the seat of emotions, weren't they? Today, the seat of emotion is what? It's our hearts, right? So in the New American Standard Bible, which is a more modern translation, we see it translated like this. For I have had great joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So we want to choose a modern translation when we're wanting to understand the Bible or read the Bible because words change over time, time meanings change. Um, so a modern translation would take the original word and translate it into the language of today based on the original intent. Okay, so that's, that's the approach. Now, how, how do you choose a translation? There are over 3,000 translations on the YouTube Bible version. If you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, I want you to download that today on your phone, download it on your tablet. It's a great resource for you. So many different translations, uh, versions of the Bible that are free for you there. And so how do you do it? It's, it's like choosing your favorite ice cream, right? Uh, it, it doesn't really matter which you choose, but we're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the ways the translations are put together so you know how uh, to choose, okay? So, um, so what are the different uh, Bible translations? Well, one is word for word, and this is because words matter. 
And when you're dealing with specific attributes of God, like we talked about last week, or um, your legal documents, or historical details, you know, how many of you are lawyers, right? Um, you deal with contracts, you deal with legal documents. You can't just have somebody come in and say, you know what, I signed that, but I didn't really mean to. Can we just ignore it? Well, you know, as a lawyer, you're going to say, no, we can't. You signed it. That's what it says. You're, <laughs> you're bound by that, right? So you want very specific wording to something like that. Um, so there are things that you, ha that, ha that you have to have that are word for word. And the word for word translations would be the English Standard Version, the older King James Version of the Bible, um, uh, which doesn't have some of the more modern manuscripts that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, and so it's not necessarily the best. Uh, it's a good old copy. Uh, there's also the New King James Version and something called the New American Standard Version or the New American Standard Bible. These would be more literal translations, word-for-word -word translations. Now, others will come along and say, say we need to consider thought for thought. Uh, how many of you have taken something that you needed translated and put into Google Translator? Uh, you might need it to go from English to Spanish or Spanish to English or into some other language. And you know that when you use a Google Translator, what happens? It comes out kind of clunky, right? And all crazy. Uh, and so sometimes we, when we come to the Bible and we're reading poetry, Spock from Star Trek is just not going to do it, okay, in terms of a translation. And so you want a translation that you know, gets the, the feel of it for you, right? That is more thought for thought, um, that gives you the je ne sais quoi of the whole thing. So you get, get the heart of it. So thought for thought is we want to go word for word, but there are times that we'll add a word or we'll make an adjustment to give a little nuance and the meaning to the meaning and for the meaning and, and the flow of the original, okay? So to make an adjustment to give the nuance and the meaning and the flow of the original. And so that would include versions like the New International Version, the New Living Translation, and the Contemporary English Version. If you want to take a picture of the screen, go ahead. We're going to be putting these up, up here as we go through this, and then you can refer back to it later. Other translations are paraphrases, and they read more like commentaries. Uh, they are not pretending to be an absolute word-for-word -word translation. Uh, but they're more just trying to give you the big concepts with creative language, more like you would read a Bible commentary, okay? And this would be the Message Bible. The Message Bible doesn't even have chapters and verses, okay? Uh, it would include the Living Bible. It would include the Amplified Bible and something called the Voice. So these are all paraphrases, okay? Uh, so my recommendation, if you want to know my recommendation, is when I study the Bible— I like to study the word, I like to use the word-for-word -word translations. Um, I like to read the Bible with the thought-for-thought -thought translations. And then if I just want a fresh take on a passage, I will use the paraphrased Bibles, okay? So that would be my recommendation for you as you approach the Bible. So um, when you choose a version... Um, hopefully you choose a version that you'll read in, and when you do that, I want to encourage you to get into a reading plan. If you feel like you're not going to be motivated to do a reading plan, ask your friend to check in on you for that. Maybe a friend, maybe not just a friend, or maybe a family member, or maybe, a, maybe somebody in your household. Um, there's a lot of great reading plans out there. Nikki Gumbel has a great read through the Bible plan. Um, he, he's got a good one. 
Um, there's also the read through the Bible in two year Bible reading plan. That's my favorite because I read really slow. It takes me a while to get through it. So I'm glad there's a two year Bible uh, reading plan. And then there's others that you can check out uh, using the YouVersion Bible app. So <clears throat> get a good reading plan. As far as understanding a particular passage and, and really kind of getting in the, into the passage and studying it, there's a method that I want to recommend to you today. It's called the OIA method. O for observation, I for interpretation, and A for application. Observation, interpretation, and application. First, we want to ask when we come to a passage, what are we observing? What's there? You're asking questions like who, what, where, when, how. Think of it like a detective who comes on a crime scene. He's not making any conclusions yet. He's just looking for clues. He's looking at what is happening, right? Um, and that's what the first part of this is, the observation. You're just looking at the passage. You're making observations. You're looking at what's there. Second, we want to ask, what does it mean? What is his purpose? What's the reason the author wrote what he wrote? Uh, you know, one of the books that has really helped me with this uh, interpretation uh, part, uh, the what does it mean part, is this book by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. I need to get that second name right. It's called How to the, Read the Bible for All It's Worth. This is a book that I had in college. I still have it on my shelf. And it's a wonderful a book that looks at the Bible and says, how do you interpret the different genres of literature that we see in the Bible? How do you, un how do you interpret the Psalms, right? How, the, the poetry books? How do you interpret other parts of the Bible? So I'd recommend that to you highly. They still, it's still in print, and you can pick that up at your favorite bookseller. So I want to share with you why this is very important, this part uh, that says, ask the question, what it means. You're looking at the context. You're trying to understand the context in the original uh, day that the, the book was written, okay? Now, <clears throat> uh, one of the things that happens uh, today in some, some Christians' homes is we might see these calendars. Uh, I, I call them the... Inspire, inspired Christian calendar. Uh, and you'll see these calendars that have one verse of the Bible pulled out of context on a calendar on somebody's wall or on their fridge with a beautiful nature scene, okay? Uh, that's the inspired Christian calendar, right? You have no idea what the context is, but that's, that nature scene sure looks pretty. And I have no idea really uh, how to uh, understand that Bible verse uh, you know, but you know what? That nature scene sure, sure is pretty. And so let's talk about why context in, is important. And so I'll illustrate it this way. Uh, imagine that somebody took a photo of me uh, in a restaurant having dinner in the city at night with a woman who is not my wife. Okay? Imagine that. Uh, now, some of you would assume that something not so good was going on there, right? If you, if you saw a photo like that. All right, but the photo, nobody took a photo of me, but I was in the city at night at a restaurant alone with a woman, and that woman was my daughter, Tessa. Okay. <laughs> so context matters. For the Bible, it matters a huge, it's a huge deal. So take the time to ask 
the questions. What does it mean? Why is this happening? What, it, what would it mean to the original audience when they heard this, okay? It's so important that you understand context before you move to apply the Bible to your life. Context matters more than you can imagine. Let's look at some actual Bible verses where context is really important, okay? Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, for I can do all things through Christ. You might see this one on the calendar, by the way. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I'm pretty tall, and I did play basketball in junior high school, but I, there's no way I can be an N NBA center, okay? So if I can do all things through Jesus Christ, that if I don't look at the context, it might mean that I can be an NBA center, right? So you have to pull back and look at the context. You have to add the verse before it and see what Paul is really talking about. Philippians uh, 12, 4, 12, and 13 says this, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who, who strengthens me, who gives me strength. Now, what is Paul talking about? that God is giving him the strength to do. Survive <laughs> through the seasons of plenty and, and the lean seasons, yeah. But it's about contentment, right? He's talking about contentment, that even in those difficult circumstances where the money's tight, that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And if you go out even farther in the context, you know that he's in the process of thanking the Philippian church who sent financial help to help him on his way during his missionary journeys. So context is important. Asking what does this mean is so important uh, to understanding the passage that we're looking at. So we're asking the first question, what's there? I don't know if you want to join me in asking the question. Uh, Second question, what does it mean? Okay, what's there? What does it mean? And the last question, so what? So what? This is the application question. What does it mean in its context, right? And then we apply it to our lives today. We don't go from observing to application, right? Or we're going to misapply a lot of the scriptures. Now, there's lots of applications to a Bible passage. So when the Bible says something like this, husbands, love your wives, what does that mean? Well, you better ask her. <laughs> I got you flowers. I don't care. Take out the trash. That's not my thing, okay? Every woman is loved and served differently, right? And so there's many ways to apply a Bible passage. Um, so let me give you here some application questions to go along with this um, that, that will be good to ask. First, how does this passage challenge how I see God, myself, and the world? How does this passage challenge? Remember we talked about this earlier, that the Bible is going to not always agree with you. If you come away from the Bible always having uh, warm feelings and, and warm fuzzy feelings, you're not really reading the Bible that I'm reading. The Bible will disagree with you. It will disagree with your thoughts. It will, it will disagree with um, things that you're doing in life, right? Things you believe. So how is the Bible challenging how I see God, 
myself, and the world? Is there a command to obey or a promise to hold on to? And then how does this change what I'll do tomorrow? James 1, chapter, uh, James chapter 1, verses 22 to 24 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. How does it change your life? What's different tomorrow after you've read the Bible today? So on your way out today, I've got a resource for you that summarizes uh, this OIA study method. Pick one up. The ushers will have them for you at the doors on your way out. You can put it in your Bible. There's also a digital copy if you uh, don't do paper, <laughs> if you don't have a physical Bible. And uh, you, can, you can actually find that on the InterVarsity website. So for the person today that has respect for the Bible, but you just have not been feeling like you've been connecting with it, I want you to give the Bible a second chance. For the person who thinks that the Bible is scientifically impossible, historically unreliable, and culturally regressive, I encourage you to do what Lee Strobel did. He was a journalist to examine the evidence, to examine the evidence. He interviewed scholars. He examined the scientific evidence. He examined the Bible's historical accuracy. And, he, I, and what we need to do is examine the evidence of the Bible because what we realize is that when we do that, your thoughts about the Bible might change. You're gonna hopefully see that the Bible was not culturally aggressive, it was actually ahead of its time. You're gonna see that Jesus was ahead of his time, okay? And listen, friends, this is too important a question. Not examining the evidence is too important, right? Because in eternity, you don't wanna get that question wrong. To those who don't believe the Bible is your authority, let me ask you, what is the authority in your life? Is it your own heart? That's fickle. That's fickle. Is it the culture? Well, that's always changing. What the culture thought was best 50 years ago is different today. Is it your friends? Who is it? Who is your authority? And how is it going for you in life? By listening to those things. Let me tell you, if you don't have something that's your authority, you need something to make the moral decisions in your life. The Bible says that generosity is better than greed, that standing up for the powerless is better than injustice, that helping your neighbor is better than ignoring him or her, that overlooking an offense is better than revenge, that love is better than hate. Where does your moral compass come from? For those who believe that their authority is the Bible and say that the Bible is the center of their lives, let me ask you, are you living like you really believe that? When the Bible disagrees with you, when you don't like what's in the Bible, do you still believe it and say, God, you're the authority over me. I don't understand it. I'm limited in my human ability to understand why that is true. But you know what? I'm gonna embrace it. I'm gonna live my life by it, and I'm gonna trust that as I do, you will bless me, you will help my heart to change, you will help me to embrace and understand it in a deeper and more full way. Or the things that you dislike, the things that you disagree with, do you say, you know what? I'm not gonna believe that part over here. I, I say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you know what? I'm not gonna believe that over here, and I'm just gonna go my own way. Remember, God's word is best for you.
what God says is best for your life. You risk not living God's best in your life if you make that decision. When Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus explained to his disciples on the road to Emmaus that all of the Bible, all of the scriptures talk about him. The Bible's not just instructions to live by, it's a person to live with. God doesn't just tell you what to do, he has a relationship with you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus to help you walk in his will. This is the book that God wrote because God loves you. He's relational and he wants to communicate with us. And so let me just tell you today that your body needs food, your body needs water, your body needs air, but your soul needs the word of God. And I want you to be healthy, healthily nourished. I want you to be healthily, uh, you know, hydrated. But I also want you to be healthy uh, in the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we, that I want to encourage you with today, I'll leave you with this, is, you know, God wants you to get into the Word, to be in the Word. And as you're in the Word, that allows the Holy Spirit to get the Word of God into you. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for this time. We can look at your word, that it's true, that it's authoritative. And I pray that today as we leave here, that we would see your word afresh, that maybe in our hearts today, you change something about how we see the Bible. And I pray that ultimately, we would wanna move closer to you and not further away to explore this amazing truth that you've preserved all these thousands of years because you love us, because you want to communicate to us, and because you want us to know who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.